Africa, rise and shine. Africa, soar. Africa, amka na unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa and Tabisolo Hoko. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Ethiopia's Tigray region heads to the polls today. South Africa's ruling ANC to mediate in Zimbabwe's crisis, and Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari defends the mammoth fuel and electricity hike. In economics news, Zimbabwe resumes domestic flights to boost its tourism. But first up, the news with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Moussa. Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF is expected to meet a senior South African ruling ANC delegation to discuss the country's political instability. ANC Secretary-General Ace Mahashule is leading the delegation, which includes the party chairperson Gwede Mantashe and International Relations Subcommittee Chairperson Lindue Zulu. ZANU-PF and the Zimbabwean government are adamant that there's no crisis in that country amid international condemnation of violent crackdown on dissent. Dozens of activist opposition politicians and journalists who are seen as anti-government have been arrested or abducted in recent weeks. Mahashule says they're hopeful that the bilateral engagement will be constructive. Well, we'll talk tomorrow. We are here in Zimbabwe. We're going to meet ZANU-PF as the ANC. And uh, we'll engage and we'll take it from there. There are many others who want to meet us. Will you be able to meet them? We, we, we are still going to decide ourselves, but uh, obviously we'll meet whoever we have to meet. But our meeting is for ZANU-PF now. The South African National Editors Forum, CINEF, has condemned the abuse and intimidation of two South African broadcasting corporation journalists by senior Zimbabwean government officials. The foreign editor, Sophie Mukwena, and anchor Peter Ndoro have been attacked by presidential spokesperson George Jaramba and government spokesperson Nikum Nangagwa on social media. This follows the extensive coverage by the SABC on the Zimbabwean political crisis. CINEF says the abuse is also sowing disinformation and discredits the integrity of media outlets reporting on the situation in Zimbabwe. Chairpersons Bungalwa says the attacks are creating significant professional harm. Sanef believes that this hostile environment is a direct attack on freedom of expression. Worldwide, similar attacks are being meted out on journalists with the intent to silence their voice, especially that of women and the stories they tell. We note that cyber trolls often work together to amplify the attacks on women journalists. The journalism industry must also urgently ensure the safety of journalists, especially women reporters. The coronavirus vaccine that Oxford University and AstraZeneca have developed has been put on hold worldwide. This after a volunteer in Britain had a suspected serious adverse reaction. Hopes have been high that the vaccine might be one of the first to come on the market following successful phase one and two testing. It moved to phase three testing in recent weeks, has involved some 30,000 participants in South Africa, the US as well as in the UK and Brazil. Phase three trials in vaccine often involve thousands of participants and can last several years. The British government is set to ban social gatherings of more than six people across England after a spike in coronavirus infections. The measures come into effect from today. They apply to both indoor and outdoor gatherings, restaurants and public places. The new policy follows a meeting between the Prime Minister Boris Johnson and police chiefs who called for the regulations on social contact to be simplified. The chief medical and scientific advisers had agreed that urgent action was needed because of a sharp rise in daily 
in new daily infections. South Africa's star athlete Kester Semenya says she refuses to let world athletics stop her from being who she is. She admits to being disappointed that a Swiss federal tribunal has ruled it will not set aside a world athletics decision that she must take medication to reduce her testosterone levels if she wants to compete in longer races. But Semenya is on record as saying she will not take drugs and the world athletics decision puts them on the wrong side of history. Semenya has also said already she will focus on the 200 meters ahead of the Tokyo Olympics because the shorter races below 400 meters fall outside the regulations. And the South African Broadcasting Corporation and Bundesliga International have signed a two-year broadcasting rights deal. The free-to-air broadcasting rights is for the 20 2020 to 2021 and 2021 to 2022 seasons of the German Football League. The package includes one live match broadcast per match week, as well as the Bundesliga weekly preview show and the Bundesliga highlights show. As Germany's elite football competition, the Bundesliga is home to the current UEFA Champions League champions FC Bayern Munich. That's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African time. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Anne. It is 7.06 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. A senior delegation of South Africa's ruling African National Congress is in Zimbabwe ahead of their meeting with the top brass of the ruling party, ZANU-PF. Last week, the party's National Executive Committee resolved to send senior leaders to Harare following a crackdown on alleged dissidents. Amongst those in the delegation included Secretary-General Ace Mahashule and Minister Lindue Zulu. Dozens of activists, opposition politicians and journalists in Zimbabwe have either been abducted or arrested in recent weeks. Francis Heard spoke to SABC News reporter Noma Bolani. Uh, Noma, so, so they've landed in Zimbabwe. What's on the agenda? Who are they expected to meet? The ANC um, you know, has been vocal to criticize the situation in Zimbabwe, but you know, from past history, we know that uh, ZANU-PF is not um, a party to admit that there are problems in their country. They've been consistently denying the fact that, um, you know, that there is a political crisis, especially with the fact that um, people who are seen as anti-government um, are then cracked down upon. Yeah. And the big question, will the ANC be willing to chastise, to speak out against uh, ZANU-PF, given the the history uh, of, of these two liberation parties, really? Yes, you see the history of the ANC as well as Zana will come into effect. And you know that um, in previous times when Zimbabwe has had problems, um, the ANC has been very reluctant to come in, especially um, during the regime of President Robert Mugabe. So it's going to be a very interesting meeting. Um, and we expect a press briefing um, in the afternoon to see if they actually um, can meet common ground with these two regimes, one being represented um, you know, of President Ramaphosa as well as that of Emerson Nangagwa. Yeah. And, and from a government uh, perspective, already envoys were, were sent by President Cyril Ramaphosa. Uh, criticism from the opposition parties in uh, Zimbabwe saying that they weren't met um, in NGOs uh, would also like to give their version, uh, saying that that the people being arrested are opposition members or, or members of organisations, uh, human rights organisations. Do we know if uh, the ANC delegation will meet uh, with anybody besides ZANU-PF? Um, so the communication from both ZANU-PF as well as the ANC is that they're going to be meeting with each other. Um, the ZANU-PF was very adamant this afternoon to say that, you know, this is a bilateral meeting between the two ruling parties and that there shouldn't be an expectation that the ANC delegation is going to meet with other stakeholders. But, you know, mentioning the special envoys, we still don't have a report or a briefing on what, ha- what exactly happened when they visited um, Zimbabwe and met with President Emerson 
Magaba. The criticism is, um, is very high, especially because now that people are saying, what was the point of sending those special envoys or even sending this ANC delegation if they're only going to meet one side of the situation? And that's SABC News reporter Numa Bulani speaking to Francis Hurd. It's 7.10 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. It's 7.11 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Ethiopia's Tigray region is heading to the polls today despite pressure from the central government to stop the vote. The region's unilateral decision to go ahead with the poll, part of a general election that has been postponed nationally because of a COVID-19 pandemic, poses a big challenge to Prime Minister Abe Ahmed's pan-Ethiopian agenda. Since coming to power in 2018, the Prime Minister has sought to push through liberal economic reforms while stressing Ethiopia's national identity in a way that critics say threatens the autonomy of the ethnic-based states in the country's federal system. To discuss this further, we are joined on the line by Yared Halimariam. He is the Executive Director of Ethiopia Association for Human Rights, and he joins us from the capital, Addis Ababa. Yared, good morning, and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Lulu. Uh, Thank you for having me. Now, Yared, there's a widely held view that the vote poses a big challenge to Prime Minister Abe Ahmed's pan-Ethiopian agenda. Talk to us about the potential repercussions of today's vote. Yes, um, well, uh, because of COVID-19, the uh, federal government and also the National Electoral Board of Ethiopia has already uh, postponed the election uh, for a known period of time until COVID situation will be settled. But it was decided and also uh, approved by the House of uh, Federation and the Upper House in last June, but following this decision, the regional government of Tigray uh, rejected the uh, decision of the national government and the decision of the electoral board, and it requested the, the electoral board to facilitate the regional election only in Tigray region. And uh, this uh, request from the Tigray region was not accepted by the federal government, by Abiy administration. Uh, so following this, the regional government took the initiative by its own and established uh, a regional ele- electoral commission and also uh, um, and also uh, they start preparing uh, for two-day election for the past uh, few months, and now the election uh, and the voting is already of this morning at six, and it's uh, ongoing. So uh, this uh, tension between the regional government and the federal government is raising now, uh, and uh, it's quite concerning uh, what will be happen tomorrow or uh, in the future. Now, when you say it's quite concerning, what are the likely repercussions that we're going to see, um, you know, with, with the voter having go- going ahead today and taking place? 
uh, well, the House of Legislation uh, already uh, decided that this uh, it declares uh, in September uh, five session that uh, this regional election is unconstitutional and illegal. Uh, so the regional government put uh, this uh, declaration of this decision of the house, then the government will take uh, any legal measures and we still don't know what they will do. Uh, but um, it's said that they will not uh, recognize or give recognition to uh, any elected body from this process. So no. uh, that's what they decided, but maybe we will expect some economic transition and uh, other measures might be followed. Now, how many people are expected to take part in today's election? Oh, nearly 2.7 million voters uh, have been registered. So it's expected that the registered number, 2.7 million people, will give their vote today. Uh, yeah. And now, Yared, uh, there's also reports that uh, journalists have been barred from flying to the region, a move which appears uh, intended to, to basically prevent coverage of the election. Has there been any word from the central government as to why journalists were barred from flying to the region? Still, the authority didn't give any excuse or any explanation why they uh restrict or reject the uh, this move of uh, in, in international journalists foreign journalists including uh al jazeera and other uh, international uh, team were trying to travel to the to the region to cover the this election but uh, uh they were um rejected and their flight were cancelled and some of the journalists their equipment their cameras were also so i mean uh took by security forces and uh but still uh, we haven't heard uh, anything from the authority why they took this measure why they uh, um, restrict journalists to travel and cover the Voting. Now, just in terms of the overall direction of the country, some observers foresee a shift in the government's political will and uh, commitment um, to the democratic reform agenda in light of uh, these latest developments. Do you share the same view? Yared, are you still with us? Yes, but there is another uh, voice from your side. <clears throat> um, I, I, I was just trying to find out from you with regards to, um, you know, the overall direction of the country. Some observers uh, foresee a shift in the government's political will and uh, the commitment to democratic reform um, in light of these latest developments. Do you share, perhaps share the same view? Yes, I share uh, the same view. I mean, uh, uh, we were expecting this transition will be uh, moving forward in a very, uh, um, uh, I mean, civilized and democratic manner without any uh, kind of confrontation between stakeholders. Uh, but uh, following the postponement of the election, um, not only in Tigray region, but uh, other opposition groups at the federal level also uh, start accusing the uh, Abiy administration uh, for not keeping its promise uh, to hold the election on its uh, planned time. Uh, so now the country is under a serious critical political crackdown and uh, there is a tension between the federal and the regional government, the Tigray regional government, but not only that, uh, even in Oromia and some other regional opposition parties have also the same concern. So the, the, the promised democratization process and the peaceful transition 
uh, has facing uh, a serious challenge that might lead the country to uh, another political crackdown. So I share the concern. Now, with reports uh, doing the rounds uh, suggesting that uh, um, Abe Ahmed might uh, use military intervention, um, do you think that uh, th- this is likely going to happen? I don't think uh, the military intervention will took place soon or will, unless there will be any uh, provocation from the other re- uh, the Tigray region, but probably what I'm expecting, maybe Abiy administration will take some uh, economic uh, sanction and uh, other uh, administrative measures before uh, deploying uh, military and uh, going to, because any military action will lead the situation to a civil war and we don't know when it will end and how it will cost the country. So. I don't think the federal government or Abiy administration will take such action uh, um, sh- shortly. So they might uh, go and exhaust any other uh, administrative uh, measures, including uh, putting economic sanction. Yared, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Lulu, for having me. And that's Yared Halimariam, Executive Director of the Association for Human Rights in Ethiopia, on the line from the capital, Addis Ababa. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, It's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. It's 7.22 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. While addressing an online discussion on the economy and the coronavirus in Zimbabwe, experts have warned that the situation may never return to what it was before the pandemic. Zimbabweans have been asked to rethink and move with the new normal if they are to succeed in this economy. More from our correspondent Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. COVID-19 has had a devastating effect on Zimbabwe's already flaunting economy, leading to the closure of the main foreign currency earners in the country. Like most other African countries, livelihoods for most Zimbabweans are at risk, and an increasing number of people are reliant on government grants. According to economic experts, businesses are having to become more flexible, but are constrained by a weak policy environment and lack of confidence of the economy. This presented an acceleration of an economic reform for the nation to build confidence and attract new investors, a move that has always failed owing to lack of political will on the part of government. During the online meeting held in partnership with the Conrad Adeva Stintang on Tuesday, renowned businessman and economic presidential advisor Busisa Moyo had this to say. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic presents an opportunity to rethink and reimagine new possibilities. And I know that sounds like a, a cliche, but for Zimbabwe in particular, it does present opportunities for us to think in other terms, as long as we are willing to be flexible around uh, the issues and challenges uh, that we face. And I think some of the opportunities that we see are within Zimbabwe itself, but a lot of them are to do. Zimbabwe is a small country uh, in market terms. Uh, however, if we talk of where it's located on the subcontinent, I think it does present a lot of opportunities that we can, if we are flexible enough to think in other terms and sort of to undo certain stereotypes that we've become accustomed to, uh, can yield some results for the economy. 
Zimbabwe is battling with one of the highest inflation in the world, hampering economic gains. President Emerson Nangagwa's administration has been preaching Zimbabwe is open for business mantra, which no longer makes sense, with rampant reports of corruption involving even the president's family. Government policy inconsistencies have also been recorded affecting how the country should address the effects of COVID-19. Investors have shunned Zimbabwe owing to the general perception of corruption starting from the top. This should change, Busisamwe said. So we have a business culture in Zimbabwe that's, you know, uh, it's colored by a lot of background challenges, corruption and issues uh, similar to that. And that business culture, I think we have uh, had challenges even around the COVID pandemic itself, the perception perception of donors and etc. Um, and, and, and certainly there is a business culture that Zimbabwe was sort of on a trajectory going towards a certain direction. But I think there's an opportunity to, to change that. While several Zimbabweans still think they would rather wait for the COVID-19 era to subside in order for them to start transformation, business consultant Ethel Kuya said the economy is no longer going back to the old normal. Lack of focus and hope in Zimbabwe is affected by the lack of resources and services required to operate businesses in Zimbabwe, such as internet data, water, electricity and transport, is either very expensive or not available at all. A number of companies have asked their workers to work from home, but the challenge still remains that of connectivity if the country is short of power, Ethel said. The cost of data in this country is ridiculous by any measure. When you take a, a, a huge workforce um, and are capacitating their workforce to work remotely, but the cost is, is, is uh, completely prohibitive. The third thing would then be uh, water. So we need power, we need water, we need electricity. I think these and transportation, those four things are going to be critical to any discussion about reindustrialization. And this is not to minimize any of the other factors that are important to reindustrialization. This is just to say we're already operating from a suboptimal base where we are not at the level that other countries are. The other countries that have to survive COVID, um, for the most part, have got reliable power, water, uh, reliable road infrastructure, and uh, access, fairly relatively affordable access to telecommunications. In Arari, Zimbabwe, for Channel Africa, this is Simon Mchemwa. At 7.27 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gones Malka, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride, and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int.
Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. It's 7.30 Central African time and our headlines up next with Anne Musa. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musa on the headlines. Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF is expected to meet a senior South African ruling ANC delegation to discuss the country's political instability. The head of the mediation team in talks between the Sudanese government and rebel groups say the final signing of a peace agreement between both parties will take place in early October. And the entire senior police leadership for the city of Rochester in New York State has resigned in the aftermath of the death of a black man in in police custody. Those are the stories making headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. It's 7.32 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Racism remains deeply embedded in South Africa decades after minority rule ended and the furor over the clicks hair advert suggests that many people still have no idea how to deal with it. This according to Devin Munsami, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the ICHAF Training Institute, a technical vocational education and training college in the country. The diversity expert says combating racism will take conscientizing ourselves and others. Munsami now joins us on the line to elaborate on his stance. Good morning. And good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Morning and thank you for having me. Morning to the listeners as well. Now, Devon, how exactly are people struggling to deal with racism? Do you mean in terms of uh, avoiding it or reacting to it? I think both on many levels. The level of awareness in terms of how sensitive we are to other people. What am I saying? What statements am I making into the media, social media even? So you don't necessarily have to be somebody famous or somebody who's got a large group of following or a large retailer. Um, to be completely aware in terms of how am I positioning myself, what am I saying to other people, and is it necessarily going to incite some level of anger or maybe uh, expose a level of prejudicial behavior on my part, and the way in which I receive the message. So sometimes there's confusion in terms of, of what the other person is saying and how I'm perceiving it, and I may then not be aware enough that it's not actually racially charged, or perhaps it is. Now, in breaking down the notion of conscientizing, how exactly will it help us um, not find ourselves in the current situation again where races are divided? Now, as far as the conscientized concept goes, 
And this is a relatively new concept. Uh, you know, lots of people wouldn't have heard of the word. But simply put, it's, 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 it's a level of understanding, a level of um, awareness. Um, having been connected with somebody else enough to know what is stepping onto that boundary or what is the thing that offends, what is the thing that pushes that proverbial button, so to speak. And many people are not necessarily conscientized enough to understand how I'm making you feel right now. So making very insensitive statements is one thing. And, and, and not being able to piece together how somebody else will feel based on that statement. So that's a lack of being conscientized. But somebody who's conscientized is very, very much aware how I'm making you feel right now in terms of my vocabulary and the, and the words that I'm using to describe you or to describe somebody close to you. Now, Devon, do you think there's still people who really do not understand what constitutes racism, especially in this day and age? There are. It sounds, it sounds very bizarre. With all of the campaigns such as the, the Black Lives, the BLM, Black Lives Matter, and, you know, even as far as, uh, you know, sexism is concerned with hashtag MeToo, there are still people who make these errors. We would imagine that it's been in the front line in media and it's under the spotlight all over the place. But I don't think it's at the forefront of thinking. It could be could be that people don't apply their mind enough in terms of how sensitive South Africa is as a nation, where we've come from, what our history suggests about us, and how we've had to reconcile on so many levels. Maybe that could be the, the reason why people are, are, are not, because they're simply ignorant to it and haven't applied their minds enough. And the other, the other suggestion is that some people simply don't care, and some people don't want transformation, and some people don't, and that borders on to the more blatant level of racism. Now, what will be the consequences if we do not improve our race relations as a country? The consequences would be that, you know, you won't have an environment that's necessarily harmonious with so many different people living in, in, in a country and working in an organization. So, uh, you know, I've noticed in the last decade that I've been doing this kind of diversity and inclusion work and writing the book on diversity, there have been more reported incidences now, uh, lately, in the last five or six years than what they was 10 years ago. So people are becoming more vocal about it. People are speaking up now. People are reporting on top of synonymous lines. So in an office environment, in a corporate space, if there is a colleague or a manager or, a, or somebody who's working with you who's been um, you know, exp- expressing this, the, these comments and, and, and showing a side of racism that you're not comfortable with, people have been reporting and becoming vocal, which is exactly what we've seen happening now. I say there is a bit of a silver lining because the more we dialogue, the more we have conversations like what you and I are doing right now. And many South Africans are reading about it and then talking about this as well. How do we perceive hair now at this level? You know, that, that texture of hair, that, that color of hair, that color of skin. And you see, the more we, we, we see this in the media, the more we see it in the mainstream, the more it forces me, Devon, to understand my relationship with it. How do I really perceive certain minorities? How do I really perceive certain skin color? What is my perception around body shape or size or gender? And you see, the more we have this engagement and dialogue with ourselves about how we perceive Indians and Africans and coloreds or triple B, EE, scorecards, and it forces me to engage with myself, thus making me understand me in relation to the rest of the country. And when I understand my role in engaging with the rest of the country and the diverse people that live here, then I'm better equipped to deal with those individuals. So I'm very glad that these things come under the spotlight because what it means is that we are slowly moving into a direction where we as a country become very comfortable talking about race relations. The more comfortable we become, the more desensitized we are and the more conscientized we are. And then we engage with everybody. So, yes, it's a journey. It's a process. We, we're still a very new country in terms of our melting pot and, and engaging with others. But as bad as this advert was and as horrible as it made certain uh, you know, people feel about it, I think it's still a good thing 
because it forces us to explore our own belief system around skin color, hair, ethnicity, race, etc. Devon, we'll have to leave it there for now. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. That's Devon Munsami, Chief Executive Officer of the ICHAF Training Institute, a technical vocational education and training college in South Africa, joining us on the line. It's 7.40 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, the Tourism Business Council of South Africa is calling for borders to reopen to let the tourism sector breathe life back into the economy. The call comes in the wake of a report by Statsese, which revealed that South Africa's gross domestic product for the second quarter of the year 2020 shrank by a mammoth 51%. The COVID-19 lockdown has been cited as one of the contributing factors for the country's spiraling economy. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Chifiwa Chivengwa, CEO of the Tourism Business Council of South Africa. Chifiwa, good morning and thank you for joining us on Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, thank you for having me. Now, how can opening the borders help reignite South Africa's ailing economy? Look, we have been saying for the past, uh, you know, 160 plus days that, uh, you know, since the lockdown was introduced based on the risk-adjusted strategy, that we need to open up tourism to enable the economy to breathe again. Uh, and this was on the basis of the number of jobs that we've been losing uh, and also on the basis of the impact that tourism has on the South African economy. And we have been consistently saying that, uh, you know, if we don't do things quicker, we will have a devastating impact on the economy. So what we are seeing now is, is, is partly, you know, the, as a result of the tourism not being opened on time, although now we are operating for domestic leisure travel, you know, for us to be able to sustain the industry, and to be able to contribute to this, uh, you know, GDP here in South Africa, of which we contribute around 8.6%, uh, you know, we need to open international borders. People here at home may not have enough cash to spend on travel, but people that are, you know, overseas, you know, we do know that they are willing to travel to South Africa. They have given us an indication. We have met with ambassadors from various countries. And also we've met with our trade partners. People are yearning to come to South Africa and we need to open the border so that we can end that foreign currencies into the country. Now, are you confident that the industry is ready, firstly, to welcome international travellers safely? And then, you know, the exposure of uh, um, South Africans to the international travellers or tourists are we ready as a country, especially with the talk of a, sec- a second surge taking place? No, we are ready. We've been ready since uh, lockdown level three and pretty much before then. We have been hosting people, you know, uh, some who were in isolation and some who were in quarantine. So we have been doing this since then. So now inviting international tourists to come, it, it, it's not like we're inviting all those that are infected from their countries to come into South Africa. We've, we've got to look at this scientifically and mathematically uh, to say that, you know, if one country, country A, infection rate per million per million is X amount uh, versus South Africa's, you know, infection rate per million, it means that, you know, that we're not importing any case if their infection rate is lower. Even if it's higher, it doesn't mean that those that are infected are coming in numbers into the country. So it simply means that, you know, we're saying that, you know, if we open our borders, those that are willing to travel, of which those that are willing to travel, they go through medical checkups before they travel. Some of them need to take malaria tablets. They want to make sure that they're on top shade before they travel. Uh, you know, it, it, it causes no risk, you know, to, to, to South Africans. In fact, we have 58 million South Africans that are moving about every day, going to work, you know, uh, doing what they do every day. And, uh, you know, the, the risk of community transmission is already here. So bringing few people from overseas is not going to increase the risk of community transmission. In fact, the people that come in, they go in groups and then, you know, they go in a very measured way. And we've put together protocols to mitigate the spread of the virus, of which I've visited various provinces. And, uh, you know, people are adhering to protocols. So there's nothing new that international tourists are going to bring into this country in terms of COVID. You've mentioned the fact that you've been ready since level three to, to receive um, tourists into the country. If international travel were to open tomorrow, how much time would it take for the tourism industry to start seeing some form of recovery? Well, you know, we are already seeing a little bit of travel from domestic travel, but for international travel, 
you know, it's it, it's it's imperative or critical to announce the date of opening our borders so that we can do our work on the ground. We can stimulate, you know, uh, our international markets. We can talk to our international partners. It's going to take time, but we do know that there are people who postpone their trips, you know, since we started lockdown. And the postponement of their trips, you know, uh, uh, you know, was on the basis that we will open early this year. So we do believe that there are people that are waiting to travel immediately that will come into this country. But in terms of stimulating the market in general, it's going to take us around two years to get, you know, back to the numbers uh, that we had in 2019. So that's why we're saying let's open. Let's get those that want to come now for Christmas, you know, uh, and for holiday season to be able to travel to our country. Because there are many people that want to escape the, the European winter and come to our country. Let's open up for those to come in so that we can start to see the recovery. Now, the recovery it- begins when one person goes back to work. <laughs> now, Chifua, what are the likely implications of further delaying the reopening of international borders for the tourism sector? Well, we'll have to massively cut our staff again. We've already cut 300,000. Uh, we're going to have to go further and cut deeper. Uh, and uh, that's going to be devastating. You know, the unemployment rate is just going to skyrocket. Uh, people are going to be staying and sitting at home. And remember, tourism is a low-hanging fruit. All we need is people to visit our country. The restaurant will reap the rewards. Hotels and guest houses and B&Bs will reap the rewards. Attraction will reap the rewards. And people that are in rural areas, you know, where there are attractions, they will reap rewards. So this is a low-hanging fruit that we need to take advantage of. And hence, we've been saying, if we want this economy to grow, open up tourism, let those that want to come, come in. Even if we have to talk about the measures that we need to, to put in addition to what we've already done, we're willing to talk about that. But silence is not the solution. You know, to just say, well, we'll open someday. When is someday? And what is, have you managed to speak to, um, you know, the, the, the National Council that uh, is uh, probably, among, that basically makes, makes the decisions when it comes to um, the levels and, uh, you know, the affecting of opening of t- local tourism, domestic tourism, and now for international tourism. What are the indications? Are there any indications so far? Now, we have written, you know, to them, we have sent our proposal to them, uh, and uh, we're saying that this is one of the single biggest uh, decisions that, uh, you know, cabinet has to make, you know, in the next seven days, uh, you know, opening up borders. So we have written to them, you know, we're waiting for them to respond to us. We believe that they will consider what we have sent through to them, and we are willing to talk. There is no time to sort of, uh, you know, uh, bid behind the bush and not deciding, and not being doubtful. You know, the medical experts are saying that there's no reason we shouldn't open our international borders. So we should follow that. We said we're following scientific evidence. Here is scientific evidence that says that, you know, we should go ahead and open the borders. Uh, for medical experts, we should go ahead. We'll be waiting and uh, to hear what happens. And obviously, after that decision or um, announcement is made, at whatever time it is going to be made, um, we'll touch base with you and uh, find out exactly what the way forward is. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you. That's Chifiwa Chivengwa, CEO of the Tourism Business Council of South Africa, joining us on the line. Hello. To celebrate African women's achievements, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy, listen to Humanity, Women in Unity, an advocacy radio program against all forms of gender-based discrimination and violence against women. Humanity, Women in Unity, on Channel Africa every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Humanity, Women in Unity, with Dr. Amalea Gonez-Malka, every Thursday at 5 past 10 Central African Time and every Sunday morning at 5 past 6 Central African Time. Channel Africa, celebrating African women's achievements, the voice of the African Renaissance, from an African perspective. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. 
Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. It's 7.50 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhuk. Good morning. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa says that the massive economic contraction caused by coronavirus should spur all South Africans to do all they can to help to rebuild the economy. He was reacting to South Africa's 51% annualized decrease in gross domestic product during the second quarter of 2020. Ramaphosa says a social compact on economic recovery will be presented to him after consultations with Advisory Council NEDLAC. A government will then finalize its economic recovery strategy. Ramaphosa also says that the presidential employment stimulus will commence implementation within the next month to increase job opportunities through public and social employment to counteract job losses. Meanwhile, economist Azajamin says this will take a strong political will for South Africa's economy to bounce back. To get us back to where we were prior to the COVID-19 crisis calls for a significant attention to the structural weaknesses that have been holding back economic growth in South Africa over the past decade, including corruption, the situation of state-owned enterprises, the uh, lack of infrastructural investment by government, and at the heart of the problem underlying South Africa is also the lack of decent educational outcomes. The former South African Power Utility Board Chair Zola Tsozi will continue to testify before the Commission of Inquiry into state capture in Johannesburg this morning. On Thursday, he admitted being under pressure from former President Jacob Zuma and former Minister Lynn Brown to suspend senior executives. Tsozi also explained how government interfered in the daily operations of the board despite not having a mandate to do so. The former board chair also detailed his relationship with the Gupta brothers and how it unfolded. This is the second time Tsozi had appeared before the commission this year. Amina Akram reports. I recall it was after I had settled with ESCOM and in a sense the matter had been laid to rest. I got a call and, um, and I, I subsequently went to see the, 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 the president, you know, I think a few days later. He went on to say to me that, uh, well, you know, um, what happened at ESCOM has got absolutely nothing to do with you. In other words, my, my suspension from ESCOM was not a reflection upon me. That's as, as far as the, the, the president was concerned. That's what he said to me. Um, what he did say was that, uh, you know, uh, I got caught up in the middle of a spaghetti. Those are the words he used. My apologies for referring to that voice in the soundbite as Amina Akram. It's in fact the former board chair, Zola Tsuzi. Zimbabwe will resume domestic flights from Thursday and international flights next month in a bid to boost tourism. Travellers will be required to have COVID-19 clearance certificates. Zimbabwe suspended flights and shut its borders in March as it sought to curb the spread of coronavirus, which has infected 7,388 people and resulted in 218 deaths. Seven commercial mini-grids have been licensed by the Energy Regulation Board of Zambia in an effort to increase electricity access in rural areas. The energy regulator has finalized the mini-grid regulatory framework under the Increased Access to Electricity and Renewable Energy Production Project Fund funded by the European Union. The regulator's public relations manager, Kualimfuni, 
says that the mini grids, which are options to electrifying rural areas, will result in improved livelihood for people in rural communities. President of the African Development Bank, Akinwumi Adesina, has called for the quality rebuilding of Africa. He says economies around the world are limping because of the offshoots of coronavirus and African countries are no exception. Adesina says as devastating as it is, this must be viewed as a launch pad for building a better continent. The U.S. dollar is trading at a 383.61 Nigerian Nara, 11.37 Botswana Pula, 107.35 Kenyan Shilling and 19.63 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, we'll start in Brazil. Lulu, one U.S. dollar there will cost you 5 rule 32. In Russia, 76 rubles 11. In India, 73 rupees 59. In China, a dollar is changing hands at 6 yuan 83. And in South Africa, it will cost you 16 rand 85. The US dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to euro. Looking at commodities now, gold is trading at $1,921 and platinum at $904. Dollars pounds. So the price of Brent crude oil is at thirty-nine dollars seventy-one cents a barrel. Africa, your favorite channel. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza, Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Ronald Peary, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at channelafrica1. Our taking us to the top of our folding news is... Tumani featuring Diabate Siddiqui Diabate with a track titled Mani Tumani. J'entends dans ta cora parfois même ta colère. J'entends dans ta cora ton cœur qui bat mon frère. Au-dessus des murailles de nos fausses vies. Okay. 